turn to your Bible, Mark chapter 1. The overwhelming theme this morning that I want you to come out with is that Jesus loves sinners. All right? Jesus loves sinners. <laughs> all right, amen. We're going to close up with that. I think you all got that point pretty good. Um, but the first thing we're going to do is we're just going to read uh, a passage, Mark 1. We're going to read starting in verse 40. So just follow along with me in your Bibles. And a leper came to him, imploring him, and kneeling, said to him, If you will, can you make me clean? Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately leprosy left him, and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once, and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourselves to the priest, and offer for yourself your cleansing, offer your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them, to the priest. But he went out and began talking freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places and people were coming to him from every corner. This is the word of the Lord. So Jesus is still going through this stuff. He is getting approached. Things are happening. And so I'm going to have, we're going to have three different stories. We're going to be talking about the leper. We're going to be talking about the paralytic. And we're going to be talking about the tax collector. I could have three different sermons here. Probably I could have eight different sermons just out of this one section. So I am admittedly going to just be hitting some points. I'm not going to be able to cover it all. Uh, just so that we get in out of the book of Mark before the end of this year, all right? So it is this good stuff here, and I uh, just encourage you to follow along. The first thing we see from the leper is tears. We see him cry out, and he says, a leper came to him, imploring him, and kneeling said, if you will, can you make me clean? So the tears, he came out, he had this leprosy. Now, don't... Don't be confused. We don't know what kind of leprosy. In those days, there were about 70 different kinds of skin disorders that were under the auspice of le le leprosy. So there's a very horrible kind that most of us are probably aware of where, you know, it drops off fingers and appendages and you become blind. We don't know that this is what this person happened, but we know that the person had a skin disorder of some sort. And in that time, in that context, you were an outcast, an absolute outcast. If you had something that broke out and, and was just growing or whatever, they put you out and said, you get away. And everyone had to, you had to pronounce yourself in front of people. You had to yell, unclean, unclean as you went through town. You wanted to keep like 50 steps away from people. If you were, saw people sitting under a tree for shade, you could not go under the tree because you were bringing your affliction to them. This is how it was. And so you've got this Old Testament picture, which I don't have time to unpack, of the, this idea of outcast of having something that creates such an outcast that you're away from society, you're away from your family, and you just sort of join a colony of people who are unclean. It is a very dreadful thing to not be in fellowship. 
So this is what he was going through. These tears were coming down. He was begging Jesus to be clean. The second thing we see is Jesus' touch. We see Jesus' touch. And in verse 41, it says, Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. You're not going to see it in this translation, but and I'm not going to just, I don't have time to prove all the things to it, but when you hear this word, you hear pity and compassion, there is in the original text an undertone of anger. We don't see it in the English. And, and if, you, if you study the word here and, and get it all out, it's almost as if it, it was a softening of trying to go on. There was a sense of anger. So it's like moved with pity. Some would say moved with compassion. And there is a, there is a deeper part that goes moved with a sense of anger. So Jesus was touched, and he touched this person, and he healed him. And the worst thing you could do with a leper is do what? Touch him. You know, unclean, unclean, and so Jesus touched him. And the third thing we see is that, uh, or here in a second, actually, look at this quote. Unlike a, an ordinary rabbi, Jesus is not polluted by the leper's disease, Rather, the leper is cleansed and healed by Jesus' contagious holiness. One way to think about it, it was against the law to touch the leper. It's against the law. So have you ever been on a, like at an intersection where the lights are flashing, the electricity went out, and there's just a flashing light, and the police are there, and they're directing traffic, and so the light might be red, but they're doing this, right? Go through, go through, go through, then stop. The policemen on the scene circumvent the written law. The written law says that light is red. We are not to go, right? But the policeman says, I circumvent that. I am on the scene. Please follow my command. Jesus did that in this text. He circumvented the law, and he brought forth truth, and he showed that he was God. And there's going to be a certain couple places we're going to see that. So the leper, Jesus was not polluted by the leper. Jesus' power was just poured out upon him. And then the third thing is we see the testimony. Mark 145, it says, But he went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town but was out in desolate places, and people were coming to him from every corner. Quarter. So you heard what I said about the angry part, and if that's true, why? Why was Jesus upset? Why was he angry? Why did he even, let's just use the word, take pity? I have, a, I have an idea, I, pray, I sort of like, I prayed about it, that doesn't make it right, but I, I really just asked the Lord to show me, what, what is going on here? What is going on in this scene? It just, you know, he could have had compassion, he had compassion on a lot of people. What was going on here? Why was there pity inside? And then it just sort of struck me, and I want to hope that it was the Holy Spirit, if not, you know, you can correct me later, but people come to Jesus looking for healing, Heal me. 
They want healing. They want what Jesus has to offer. They want to be touched by Jesus. And so they come and they beg and they tear and they go, God, would you save me? People have come to altars and say, God, would you just change my life with my addiction and my my thoughts and all this stuff? I want to be healed. Then Jesus touches them and maybe there's healing and then they walk off. So what happens in this story? It's a small thing. Jesus commanded this person to do what? To be quiet, right? It's called the messianic silence or the messianic secret. Jesus did not want things to get out at the time. The cross was going to unfold itself out. Jesus did not want, and you can see at the end of this this piece here, that the news spread and Jesus could no longer be in the town. The house was overwhelmed. Things were coming. And so the disobedience of this, and I just want to say that maybe Jesus saw that this person only wanted healing from leprosy, but did not want Jesus. Was not going to be obedient to Jesus. Was just going to do what they felt was right in their own eyes. Oh, take the skin part away. Take the outward thing away. Uh, Just make me right so I can be back in relationship. But was immediately disobedient to Jesus' words. Could it be that Jesus knew time and time again people were going to come to him looking for healing and they weren't going to find what they're looking for. The old U2 thing just pops in my head. I still haven't found what I'm looking for. There are Christians that roll into church that want a touch from Jesus but do not want to know him and be transformed by him and be obedient to him and it grieves the heart of Jesus. Matter of fact, the, the, the verse, uh, there's verses in Scripture that talk about the grieving of the Holy Spirit. That we can grieve Him. So, Jesus still healed him. Jesus still cared. But I, I just get a sense that the frustrating thing I can say in, in ministry is when Good Lord, I can say in my own life with God, when I come to him for power and I ask him to do something, and I come to him for what he can do and not just to be with him. I'll put you all out of it. Y'all can just spectate in my life. When I try and I want things from him and I, and I plead these prayers, but I really want what he can do, not him. I think this scripture has something to do with he loves sinners, he loves us, but he also is grieved and is sad when we don't obey him. So we saw, we had tears, we had a touch, and we had a testimony. Verse, uh, chapter 2, verse 1. And when he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. Uh, many think that this was Peter's house, uh, right outside the synagogue, what we saw in the earlier chapter, that they were in there. And so verse 2, it says, And many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door, and he was preaching the word to them. And they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could no longer get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him, and when they had made an opening... They let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to 
the, the, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. Now, some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, why, does, why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your bed, and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose immediately, picked up his bed, and went out before them all, so that they all were amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. Just imagine. People are coming from all quarters to hear Jesus. The message is relevant to their lives. They're seeing some transformations. They want, they know something's going on. And so four guys grab this guy like on a stretcher of sorts and carries him on the rooftops in those days. There was a stair on the outside that reached up to a flat roof. And on the flat roof, you had sort of like branches that were cross-threaded together, and mud was just sort of caked on top of it and, and put on there. And so you get a picture, these guys carrying this paralytic up, walking to the top of the floor. They don't have room to see Jesus, and they begin to dig. Now imagine if you're inside. What do you think's happening on the inside? Stuff's falling down upon you, right? So mud's coming down. Me, I'd be irritated. Who's messing my roof up? I'm not a roofer, but I know that's work. You know, and so they do that, and they lower this guy down into the room where Jesus was. So let me hold this for later. So the first thing I want you to recognize is the helplessness of the, of the paralytic. He could not carry himself to Jesus. I want to propose to you this morning that in, before Christ, we are helpless to bring ourselves to Jesus. He drew near to us. By his spirit, he opened up and gave us new life. He began the regeneration work, and he reached into our lives when we were helpless or dead in our sins. He came and invaded our lives, and we were helpless. And at the same time, we had maybe some friends that carried our paralytic body before the foot of the cross. So this is really good stuff here. Not only do you have a paralytic who may have had the faith to be healed, but you had four guys that ran and carried him and dug and placed them in the presence of God. And so if I'd asked those guys if they could take this to a friend so they would come to Easter service, I don't think they would go, well, you know, that's a little invasive, I don't know if I want to ask anybody. They might say no, and it might hurt my feelings, and they might out me as a Christian, and I may be one of those type of people. I don't think I can do it. No, I think in their heart immediately, they would just go, you know what? I'm going to carry my friend to church. I love one of the things that Andy Stanley says. Um, he talks about in their church, he said, they believe in two things, invest and invite. These men invested and placed effort into bringing their friend to Jesus. 
I don't know if they invited him, but I'm sort of thinking maybe. I don't hear the guy was kicking and screaming, if you would, on the cot. But they invested in him. They carried him. They walked him to the presence of Jesus. And in our lives, even though we're helpless before Christ, now we have the Holy Spirit and we are empowered to share the good news and to present the gospel to people. So we see in verse 3, and they, they came, bring him um, a paralytic carried by four men, and when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him, and when they had made an opening, they laid down the bed on which the paralytic lay. Then what happens? We see a healing. We see helplessness, and then a healing. Mark 2, 5, and Jesus, when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. Son, your sins are forgiven. That is not normal terminology for not knowing somebody. But the moment when you are in the presence of Jesus, you get brought in to the family of God. You're a son or daughter. When you reach out for healing, he doesn't view you as a subject or a, um, a being that is of no importance. He says, son and daughter. He knows we're sinners. He loves sinners. But he, more than that, he grafted us into his family and said that we are sons and daughters of God. And then what happens next? We see hostility. Verse 7, why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Oftentimes, there are different teachings, uh, false teachings, if you would, heretical teachings that say Jesus is not God. Uh, he's, he was just a created being. He was the first created being, and that he came and he's pointing to God. But the, uh, the original teaching of the church is that Jesus is God. He was with God in the, in before creation, before time. The Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit were present together in community. And that Jesus came down and he saw the mission that he had to do. He came down the earth. He lived a sinless life. He healed people. He touched lepers. He was with sinners. We're going to see that a little bit further in a minute. And at the same time, he pronounced forgiveness of sins. Just imagine your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. Whenever, if you ever proclaim that to somebody, make sure they know who the sin is forgiven from. In the original, uh, a lot of people sort of lambast, and I'm not going to get into it too much, in the Catholic Church, the priest absolves people and says, you know, your sins are forgiven. When it was started, Luther even took that with him as the Protestant Reformation took place because it was such an important thing to know that your sins were forgiven. It doesn't take me to forgive your sins. There is, no, there is none of that through here, but it is Jesus that forgives sins. So when you look to somebody, you can place your hands. If they're repentant, just be like, your sins are forgiven. You know, they're like, are you a priest or something? I'm a, I'm a minister of the gospel, and that's what Jesus did for you. Your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. The crowd didn't like that. The religious crowd didn't like it. They were angry. Who, this Only God can, can forgive sins, exactly. But they didn't see it. So there's, again, there's a lot in this text. Last part we're going to look at is 
the conversion of Levi. Just so you know, Levi is Matthew in the Gospels. It's named other, other places, but Matthew, who wrote Matthew, uh, this is who he is. Verse 13, he went, he went out beside the sea, and all the crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as he reclined at the table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. And the scribes of the Pharisees, and the scribes of the Pharisees, when they had saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, Why does he eat with the tax collectors and sinners? When Jesus heard it, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician. But those who are sick, I come to call, not to call the righteous, but sinners. Jesus loved sinners. So in the conversion of Eli in Mark 2, 14 of Levi, it says, And he passed by, he saw Levi sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, Follow me. And what did he do? He rose and followed him. Matthew was obedient. He immediately just stood up and walked. He was not a likable person in the community. The, the best way I can get sort of, I mean, I guess in our, in our context, we would think of a couple people maybe, and forgive me if you're in this profession already, some people would consider maybe lawyers would be part of this group now, and, and some people maybe the IRS, and probably some Congress people would fit in that bill as well. So politic, political people, they were not very liked. The tax collector was there, and he created a booth in town, and all he did was take people's money. Here it is. And people, do y'all like sending your taxes off? If, not if you're getting a refund. Uh-uh. Do you like to pay something when you're getting it back, right? So I know the answer there. Uh, and I, but in this case, Levi heard Jesus' command to follow him, and he dropped all that he had. And then we see the celebration. And he reclined at the table in his house. Many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. So does that mean that the Pharisees and the scribes weren't sinners? Right? So you, know, you read it, it's like, well, there, there are a lot of sinners there. Frankly, everyone there were sinners. All right? But in this case, the people who the religious folks deemed as less than, they considered sinner, sinful, and like, I'm not going to touch it. Remember the leprosy? Don't touch. Sinful people don't touch. <laughs> I got to get away and not look at that. Uh, you know, sinful people don't touch. Get away. Sinner, sinner, sinner. Instead of leper, leper, leper. Sinner, sinner, sinner. And so they were celebrating around Jesus and his disciples and the, the, the leaders of the church of the, uh, sorry, I say the synagogues, the Jewish rulers were angry and frustrated and they did not like what was going on. So what is our, what do we see here for us? I mean, I spit through a lot of information, I get that. But if we had to break it down, what, what does it mean that Jesus loves sinners? Right, we're studying Mark. What did Jesus do? He loved sinners. What did Jesus call us to do? 
love sinners. And if we don't share that message and we're not obedient to that message, there are a lot of people around us who are gonna just go, I am not good enough. I am not faithful enough. You don't know what I did last night. You don't know what I did last summer. You don't know what I breezed through on the internet. You don't know what um, I, I, I stole from this. You don't even know what I put on my tax documents. And they're gonna go, I don't deserve any of this. And in one sense, they're right. But without the messenger, you and I being the messengers, this place becomes a wasteland and it becomes empty and dry. So I'm gonna, in a second here, I'm gonna throw a quick video clip up. Uh, have anyone seen the Lorax, that whole, the whole bit? Yeah, and they've got a couple people. So this place has been decimated and I just want you to get a picture of maybe what our call is to do and I'm gonna tie it all together at the end. So this is really all your fault. You destroyed everything. Yes. And each day since the Lorax left, I've sat here regretting everything I've done. Staring at that word. Unless. And wondering what it meant. But now I'm thinking. Well, maybe you're the reason the Lorax left that word there. Me? Why would he leave that for me? Because unless someone like you cares a whole awful lot, nothing is going to get better. It's not. The last Truffula Seed. You need to plant it, Ted. Yeah, but nobody cares about trees anymore. Then make them care. Plant the seed in the middle of town where everyone can see. Change the way things are. I know it may seem small and insignificant, but it's not about what it is. It's about what it can become. That's not just a seed. Any more than you're just a boy. you down. I know. PowerPoint off a little bit. I want to go back a few slides. I'll tell you in a second. Maybe, maybe not. Disregard. All the things that happen that people came for healing, they had sicknesses, they had... Um, they were paralyzed, they were all that stuff. There, it was asked for healing. Leprosy 
was the only thing that required cleansing. Our sin, our sin does not need to be, did not need to be healed. Our sinfulness in ourselves needed to be cleansed. And that cleansing took place on the cross. That's where our cleansing came from. And so if you have received Jesus and you've put your trust in that, then just much like that kid, we are given a seed to go and to sow into the world. And it seems insignificant. Our conversations might seem insignificant. There might be one person you can reach that that, that little seed will grow somewhere. And unless you do what is called to do, maybe that seed's just going to sit and die. So there's this thing, there's a question up here. Who are you called to love. It's right before that, I believe. Maybe, maybe not. Books. It's a big question. Who are you called to love? So some people in this room lovingly say, I like to step on toes. So I'm just going to give you a toe warning. Slip your toes underneath the pew racks. Yeah, get them out of the aisle. Who are you called to love. I am going to give a big list and I'm going to read it slow. And my intention is to step on a multitude of toes in one single stomp. All right? It's exciting, right? You ready to go for this? Who are you called to love? And I'm going to sort of do this and this. Republicans, Democrats, pro-life, pro-choice. Now, let me just say, I'm not saying that we love some of the things being done by any of these people, but I'm talking about Jesus' love for the person. Just make that really clear. Anti-Second Amendment people, pro-gun people, socialists, Capitalist, poor, rich, gay, straight, transgender, Apple, PC. <laughs> Do that for fun. Protestant, Catholic. Muslim, Christian, or Islamic, Christian, black, white, brown, yellow, legal, or illegal. Are we called to love them? I want to say that the church has done a good job of crucifying the Pharisees and the scribes and all the religious rulers that put Jesus on the cross. And at the same time, we have tended to do the same thing that they did and give ourselves a pat on the back because we think we're ideologically correct. 
Oh, I can't believe the Pharisees and scribes. Oh, they were sinners. Jesus was a sinner. How could they do that? But daggone, if a news thing comes on and there's someone on there and I've heard the vitriol and the anger come out. Ah, ah, I'm angry. I'm angry. I'm angry. I'm angry. Angry, 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 angry. And there's a wasteland out around Christians. It's a dried out, it's a burnout zone because we have not done what Jesus did. We've decided to change his words, not love our enemies, but love those who are ideologically with us and and just be comfortable there and point everyone else's fault when the fault lies right here because I am the chief of sinners. Anyone want to push back on that? Look, I don't like this. I love to argue. I I have ideological thoughts. I want to be angry at people. It's my nature. Some of you will find that funny. Yeah, I've got a couple other people up there like that, right? I want that. But Jesus shattered my glass of what I am to be and said, Eric, you're called to love your enemies. You're called to love everyone on that list. You're called to give the message of the gospel is that Jesus loves sinners. You're called to point to Jesus and not point to your ideology. Yes, there is truth in scripture. I will proclaim it, but daggone it, I will proclaim it in, in, by spirit, power, and love. And more important than that, I will proclaim it in relationship and not just stand on a great divide, whether it's across the street corner or behind the keyboard of the internet or behind the power of a text and shoot rounds at people. I will do it face to face and love them through it and say, I disagree with you. However, I hope you hear my love for you. That's what we're called to do. Jesus loves sinners. He's called for us to make our mark on this world to go and make disciples. Part of that is loving our enemies, laying down our differences, and saying Jesus is king, not the president, not the Congress, not all of our things that we think of, but Jesus is king, and I'm gonna follow him, and on that cross I will die. What did Jesus do? He loved sinners. So before we come to communion, I have a feeling that there's probably a good deal of people in this room, maybe, that need to confess we haven't loved like we should. And if Jesus has called us to love, then we're called to do that. There is no excuse. Jesus sat on the cross and said the people who had beat him and ripped his beard out and did all this stuff to him, he said, Father, forgive them. They know not, not what they do. That has to be the walk of us as Christians. As we come as the worship team comes up and we get ready to take communion, I pray that you and I will seek after the heart and mind and soul of Jesus Christ. Please stand if you're able. Communion's a time to repent. If you have not placed your trust in Jesus, We'd love to pray with you, love to invite you to come. If you have and you've maybe not been loving people as you should, just come and ask for prayer up here. Maybe just confess it to someone next to you. Maybe this time is the time of going, hey, you're my friend. I have not been loving this person. I just want to confess it between you and the Lord. Would you pray for me? Do that. Then just come to Jesus and thank him for what he did. So let's pray. Father, thank you for the cross. 
Thank you for Jesus' example. Lord, help us to be like Jesus in all ways. For it's in his name we ask it. Amen. Please come.